Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. You guys can stand up. Um, I'm going to read the passage for today. If you're new to Oak City Church, this is something that we didn't do for most of our history as a church. We started doing it a year ago because... Um, it's, a, it's a tradition in some churches, and it's really just acknowledging that this is the word that God has given us. These are the most important words that will be spoken today are God's word, and, um, and honoring God for, and thanking him for giving us uh, the word. So this is uh, Luke chapter 22. They seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. Uh, and when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you were talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking... The rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out, and he wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys can have a seat. We are in a series um, for uh, Easter called Approaching Jesus. And so we're approaching Easter and, and talking about different characters in Really, we're working on the last few hours before Jesus goes to the cross and different characters in that time frame and, and how they approach Jesus and how God used that to, to you know, work in their lives as, as characters in the story. It's part of what we're doing for Lent and the way that we're engaging Lent. Last week, uh, John talked about the Last Supper and really the start of this time frame and, um, and how the Last Supper, Jesus earnestly desired to share a meal, a Passover meal with his disciples before he went to the cross. And two of those guys, Judas and Peter, were about to sell him out. And still he earnestly desired to share a meal with them. I'd earnestly desire to do something else to him, you know, but that's how Jesus um, was. And so John talked about that meal, and, and then he talked about how Jesus, in that scene, um, initiates the practice of communion. And communion is this reminder of the grace of God that that we've received from him, and a reminder to offer that grace, a call to offer that grace to the people around us in the same way um, that we'll see today. Jesus offers it to Peter. Now, we we did communion. If you weren't here, how many people were here last week? Um, So we did communion differently than we've ever done communion as as a church. And so we asked a few people. No one said that was a little weird. Everyone was like, that was good. If it's weird, you can text me or let me know. It's okay. Um, We're going to work with it over the next next few months. But what we've done historically as a church is people would come up and we'd have bread and we'd have um, some juice and you would tear off a piece of the bread and dip it into the juice. And that's a way to do communion. It's actually, the official name is intinction, actually. Who knew? And, uh, but people were getting a little bit grossed out by everybody's hands being on the same bread before COVID and now it's COVID and so forget it. And then we've been doing the little cups, which we'll still have the cups. Um, and I was going to say because they're gluten-free, but they're not apparently. And so we'll work on that. Someone told me that just this morning, but they're still a little bit um, maybe safer if that is. And so if you want to take the cups, we can still do the cups. They'll still be there. But what we did last week was we had um, 
John and I up here, and we'll do this again today, but it's not always going to be John and I in front, with a tray of, of bread and a tray of, of um, the juice, and, and John said, this is the body of Christ broken for you, and I said, this is the blood of Christ that's been shed for you, which is traditional language in the history of the church. And the reason we changed, and John outlined this you know, really well last week, and, but part of it for me is that the grace of God is something you don't take, you receive it. Probably 10 years ago, I remember introducing communion at the end of a service and thinking, you, I said, you can come up here and take communion. And I thought, shoot, you don't take communion. Like, if you have kids that on Christmas, they take their gifts. You know what I mean? Give me that gift. Like, and they, like that, that doesn't work. You know, you receive a gift from somebody. And I thought, man, we, communion is something we should receive. And I actually thought maybe this is why, you know, there are other church traditions where they have someone that kind of mediates communion um, and offers it to you, and, there's, and I thought, since that time, I've been thinking maybe there's a way to make this more um, personal, and we don't have priests, right? That's not, we're all, we're a priesthood of believers, and so there's nothing special about whoever's up here, but so, like, confession, if you confess to the Lord in prayer, that you need to do that, and so that's a good thing. If you confess to one another, if you confess to somebody that you've sinned against, there's a different level of meaning to that, and if, or if you confess a sin to a friend, and you're just like, man, I feel so bad about this, and I did this, I just have to get this off my chest, and you confess it. And that person is able to speak grace into you and say, yeah, that was bad, but Jesus died on the cross to take your guilt and to take your shame away, and so you don't have to carry that. There's something personal and meaningful about it. And so that's a bit of what we're after here of like, hey, you know, Shannon, this is the body of Christ that's been broken for you and making it personal. So that's what's going to happen at the end of um, my message. A few coaching tips from last week. You don't have to go super fast, all right? Because I can only say this is the blood of Christ shed for you so fast. It's like, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. This is, I'm going to say something bad if I have to say it fast that many times. So we can slow down. You don't have to say anything in return. There may be something that you're supposed to say in return. If there is, we're, we don't know what it is yet. So there's no expectation of that um, that, we, that we know of. You can have a range of emotions up here. This is a little different um, you know, because when you come up and we just, we did the bread and the cup, it is a little bit solemn, and solemn is good for communion. However, we are celebrating the good news. We're remembering the good news that Jesus died on the cross for us. It is good news. You can be happy. It's okay to be happy, reverently happy, you know, not like, you know, so we can talk a little bit when you're here. Not like, hey, did you see the game last night? Not that type of happy, but just like, this is, this is good, and we're celebrating um, what Jesus has done for us. So, okay, a few coaching tips on communion and letting you know what's going to happen at the end of the service. This scene that I just read, Peter denying Jesus three times, um, is kind of a cringy, it's kind of a cringy scene. Uh, you feel, every time I read it, I feel a little bit awkward for Peter because even though you know it, like, you still are like, I can't believe he did that. Um, anybody ever seen Meet the Parents? It's one of my favorite movies of all time because every time I watch it, I'm, it feels just as awkward to me as the first time I've watched it. And you're like, oh, please don't do that. Uh, but he does it and you feel just as bad. That's kind of what this scene is for me. Like Peter just, it just blows it. Um, years ago, I was in Jerusalem and I, uh, we were in this place. It's the Caiaphas's courtyard. Or it's the high priest and it's his courtyard, the approximation of where this would have happened, and I, we're just walking around. There's a statue there, and it's, this is the statue, and so I went over and looked at it. It is a statue of Peter denying Jesus. It's, it, Peter has a statue of his worst moment 
in life. And I thought, this is, Peter must pray. Like, Peter must, I don't know what you do in heaven, not pray, but like ask God for some lightning to come down on this thing right here. Um, because it, that's just, we put statues up for good things. You know, Vince Lombardi has a statue outside Lambeau Field of co- coaching. You know, the Union Square downtown, there's fewer statues than there used to be, but there's still statues, you know. George Washington has a statue, and the president's from North Carolina. I think one of them's on a horse, which is super cool. I'd like a statue of me on a horse. Um, Peter's got a statue of him denying Jesus. Uh, if they had a statue of your worst moment, where would it be, and what would you be doing? All right, now take a moment and just share that with the people around you. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. I found this picture this week from, um, from years ago. This is me with my oldest two sons when they were really little. And I titled this. It's the only picture of myself I've ever titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I was so mad at them that day. And I thought a lot of our statues, if you have children, would be, be like... <laughs> That'd be your statue, you know. Uh, there was a time in, in the house we're in now, I punched a wall. Do you remember that, Abigail? Yep, she does. Um, and that's, I'd be, you know. Uh, Jason, guy that started, we started the church with, when we lived out in town, he punched the floor. He was so mad and broke his hand. And so for three weeks, he walked around with a cast on. People were like, hey, man, what'd you do to your hand? And I think he had to make something up because he couldn't take it anymore. Uh, it's just... It's going to, that's, it'd be horrible. Um, this is, I have two points to this sermon. Here's the first one. Following Jesus is going to draw some things out of you that you could never imagine were in you. Following Jesus is going to draw some things out of you that you could never imagine were in you. A lot of our statue moments have nothing to do with follow Jesus, following Jesus, but, but maybe some of our worst statue moments have something to do with following Jesus because he pushed us into a place where like he was trying to grow us and we didn't want to or we didn't know we needed to and so something came out of us. And when you come to faith in Jesus and understand Jesus not just as a prophet and a teacher but as the son of God that died on a cross to forgive you for your sins, you realize you're sinful. That's the context of your relationship with him. The basis of it is realizing your need for him. But the more you follow Jesus, the more, you, the more surprised you are at just how screwed up you are. And I think it is surprising but it's just the way that it, just the way that the track with Jesus goes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to float through Jesus' life and just touch on a few scenes of Jesus, and, or Peter, excuse me, of Jesus and Peter together. And when Peter meets Jesus at the beginning, it may not be the first time he met him, but one of the first times that Peter meets Jesus, um, he's been out fishing all night. He's a fisherman. He comes in because they fished at night. He's cleaning his nets, and Jesus um, says to Peter, hey, I need to borrow your boat to make a speech because uh, the acoustics are better if I get out on the lake a little bit. Borrows the boat, gives the speech. Peter's cleaning his nets, listening to Jesus. This is a little bit embellished. He comes back in. I think Peter says, good speech, Jesus, you know. And, um, and Jesus is like, hey, why don't you go back out in that boat, put your nets out, you know, on the right-hand side, and see what you catch. And, uh, and Peter's like, well, I don't, <laughs> I, I know, preacher man. I know you think you know something about fishing, but that's just not how it works. People fish at night. They don't fish during the day. Like, that'll never work. But he goes and does it anyway and catches more fish than he's ever caught in his entire life. And I envision him looking back at Jesus and Jesus being like, you know, <laughs> uh, this would be like Jesus 
coming to your workplace, and if you're a computer guy, he's like, hey, let me take a look at that code, and just be like, and it does whatever it's supposed to do. Or come into your classroom if you're a teacher, and your kids actually listen to you. Uh, you know what I mean? Or for Jake, taking the scalpel and saying, or just his finger, like, I got this. And Peter realizes something about Jesus. Like, Jesus is just, he, and he realized something about himself. It's like, Jesus is something way beyond what I could comprehend, and I'm not what I thought I was. And so that scene is recorded when, when Simon Peter saw it, the fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. That is like as good a reaction to Jesus as you can have. Like you are something totally other than me. Uh, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. He, he gets it. He gets his need for for, um, for Jesus. I used this quote a few weeks ago from C.S. Lewis, in God you come up against something that is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you understand God is that and yourself is nothing in comparison to God, you don't know God at all. And Peter gets that. Like he starts in the right place. This is how you come to Jesus. As you realize, like, um, I, can, I can never do enough. <laughs> and he's done something for me on the cross because I can never do enough. So it's not about earning favor with him. It's about surrendering to him. And, um, and, and that, like, we need something that he has, and we need him to work on us, and we need him, by the power of his spirit, um, to fix us. And that's not about, we don't need him to help us become better fishermen. It's about the worst moment statue. It's about our anger, or our lust, or our greed, or our selfishness, and and all that those things lead to. And on the cross, he takes the consequences of those sins. By rising from the dead, he shows us he has power over sin and death. And then he gives us the same spirit that raised him from the dead to empower us to change. And so that's the gospel. And if you've never known Jesus like that, come to him today. Because that's how you come to Jesus. And surrender to him. And say, thank you for doing something for me I never could have done for myself. And, uh, and let's get you baptized. And Peter gets that. But then after a while you realize you didn't get it as much as you thought you got it. Like, you thought the worst is gone, you know, but it's just not how it works. Um, sometimes I think about the process of the, what the Bible calls sanctification of Jesus, making us more like himself, like a big mural. Um, and, and when you come to Jesus, you see that the whole thing is a mess. The mural is your life, your person, and it's a mess. But when you come to Jesus, you've seen this one little part of it and, and been like, man, this is awful. And you surrender it to Jesus, and he starts, like, repainting the thing so it looks the way that it's supposed to. And he takes your hand and helps you, you help repaint some of it. I don't know exactly how that works. But then he starts to back. You start to think, oh, I'm pretty good. I got it together. You know what I mean? Because all you see is this right here. And he takes you. And everybody else in your life sees that you're still a complete mess. And, yeah, you fix that one thing, but the rest of it, geez. And then he takes you, and you start going back. And you're like, but I just want to look at that part. And then you start to see the rest of it. And then you're surprised at how much of a mess it is. And then he takes you to another part and starts working on it until he's done, which he's never going to be done. And that's what's going to happen with Peter. So you fast forward a few years with Peter, and uh, there are some fits and starts with him following Jesus. But they get to a point um, where Jesus asks the group of disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some say you're a prophet, some say you're a teacher, and some say you're Elijah. And Jesus is like, well, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter's the bold one, the leader. He's like, you are the Holy One of God. You are the Christ you're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're more than a teacher or a prophet. Like, 
And, and Jesus is like, you got it. You're right, Peter. And he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which is his old name, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, if you're Peter, how do you feel about that? Like, you're feeling like you must have your stuff together because you don't know what a church is because no one does, but Jesus is going to build that church on you. Like, you must be something. He's probably thinking he's going to get a statue someplace. Uh, just not knowing which statue he's going to get, you know. And, um, man, I started thinking about, I, I don't know, 25 years ago, I moved down here with a different job. Within a few years, God had, over a period of time, called me to quit my job and come on staff at a church. And there's definitely part of me that thought, well, he must think a lot of me to make me want to be a pastor. And a lot of that was just following God's call. But a bit of it was my ego thinking, you could be a pastor. Imagine someone thinking that. And then a couple of years later, um, starting a church, which wasn't my idea. Uh, like, he led us to it. But then you start realizing a big part of why I did that was because there's so much work to do. And um, I've said this before. He might have made me a pastor because I need this stuff more than everybody else. He's like, you need like hours and hours a week in the Bible to fix you, buddy. <laughs> and I don't doubt that that's true. I thought it's a little bit like marriage. You get married and you found someone that thinks you are awesome, you know? And so you probably half the reason you marry them isn't that you think they're awesome. It's that they think you're awesome. And so you think, man, I must be pretty awesome if this person is willing to spend the rest of their life with me. And then it's just shocking when a few years later or months later or weeks later or possibly hours after you get married, the person is like, listen, maybe you're not as awesome as I thought you were in the first place. Um, but, and God uses marriage to draw those things out so that he can change you. And so that's what's happening with Peter and what happens with all of us in following Jesus. So we'll... We'll fast forward and, and get up to just before the scene that I read um, at the beginning. Uh, so after the, the Passover meal that John talked about last week, um, they are on their way out to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it's written in the Bible in Zechariah, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, you will go to Galilee. I think there's a couple different ways to respond to Jesus saying something like this to you. I, one thought that passes through my head is they've been following Jesus for three years. I imagine Jesus has been right about pretty much everything. And so even if you don't understand it or like it or agree with it, you might like be like, Jesus, can you help me figure out what that means? Because that's a little bit troubling, you know. Um, He's quoting the Bible. The Bible is pretty much right about everything. And so you might think, well, I don't like or understand it, but there's something in there. He even says, after I'm raised up, I'd be curious about what that means. I might have some questions. Peter says, even though they're all going to fall away, I will not. <laughs> like, it takes a little bit to get through the layers of arrogance that ooze out in this statement, you know. Um, first, the confidence to defy Jesus. Uh, to say to Jesus, listen, man, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, second, the throwing your best friends under the bus so fast. Jesus, I never trusted these guys either. You're right. They're all trash. But me? And, and then the arrogance to defy Scripture. Zachariah never met this sheep. He doesn't know what he's talking about. 
Um, you know somebody like this? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> got some more questions about, um, do you see someone like this in the mirror every day? Just a little bit, maybe. <laughs> I, um, they're bold, they're courageous, they're a bit impulsive. Um, they're never wrong. Someone here, I'll protect their identity, but, and they wouldn't care really, but a few years ago were like, my family used to say of me, sell them wrong, never in doubt. That is this type of person. Um, years ago, someone talked to me about leadership and personality types and stuff, and they used, I don't know if you heard this, they used the ready, aim, fire deal. Has anybody heard this? So like you, you know, you, when someone's going to fire a, a weapon in the army or whatever, they say ready, and then their aim, and then their fire. But he said certain personalities are like fire, 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 aim, fire, 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 you know, and that's what Peter is. And then other people are like ready. Are we ready, guys? Is everybody ready? Susie, are you ready? Okay, we're ready. Okay, let's aim. Okay, all right. Are we ready? You sure we're ready? Okay, let's aim. Uh, okay, ready. Uh, I might lean in that direction. <laughs> One of the things that God has, this message has worked out, I've learned that more through marriage in this church than anything else in my life. And I've worked, I've worked, God's worked on me, you know, but I get it. Um, I think everybody's superpower, or everybody's personality has like a, a superpower that comes with its own kryptonite, to use the Superman thing, so, um. And I said this to one of my kids who isn't here recently, and I said it super carefully because I wanted him to be affirmed by it. But his superpower, don't you dare tell him, is persistence, which persistence will get you super far in life, right? I mean, that's a superpower to have. But the, the dark side of persistence is when you never, ever, 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 ever stop asking for something, it can get on people's nerves a little bit. Uh, and so that's, we all have that. And it's coming out here for Peter. And it's in part because there's so much pressure in this scene. Remember a pastor years ago um, being on stage, and he, just, he, took, he picked up his coffee cup. He said, if I knock this cup, what's going to come out of this cup? We're like, we better not do that. And he knocked it, and there was water in it. But he said, whatever's in the cup is coming out of the cup. You know? And so in high-pressure situations, that's what happens. And this week, before Jesus goes to the cross, like, they've been in Jerusalem for the week. Jerusalem is the big city, and these are country guys. These are small-town guys. And the pressure, like the religious leaders who are the political leaders, have been turning the screws on Jesus. And it's been clear they want him gone. Um, they are trying to cancel Jesus. I thought about, um, I'm, this is no commentary on Joe Rogan. I've never listened to Joe Rogan. But a couple months ago or weeks ago or something, Spotify, like, took him off of their podcast platform, and he was the number one whatever, because they're trying to cancel them. People are getting canceled all over our culture, right? That's what they're trying to, to do with Jesus. They're trying to silence his message. And you don't want to mess with these guys because they play for keeps, and that's going to obviously play itself out in just a few days here. And so tensions are high, and Peter sees that. He don't want to let Jesus down, but in the process, he misses the bigger picture, and his arrogance and pride and his insecurity float to the surface, and he can't even help it, but this is how it is. When you're really following Jesus, you're going to be in situations like this where things seem completely out of your control because following Jesus forces you to acknowledge the reality that things are completely out of your control. And the only way to have things in your control is to live in a really small world where you can control it. And Jesus doesn't want you living in that world. He's going to put you in situations 
where you have to acknowledge that he is God and you are not. And this type of stuff is going to come out. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. I'm, it's, I'm dying to know what the tone is between Jesus and Peter in this scene. I know how I would say that <laughs> to Peter, you know, but I think Jesus doesn't say it like that. Like, Peter, I'm telling you tonight before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter doubles down emphatically is like more abundantly says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Um, Jesus didn't do this, but part of me fashions that Jesus just rolled his eyes. Oh, God, are you kidding me? You know, he didn't. I would. Um, Peter acts like his manhood has been challenged. I wonder if the disciples are sitting. You ever, you ever like see people fight like this? And um, uh, I wonder if I wonder if his disciples thought that, like Peter and Jesus are going to fight. They're going to throw down right here, you know. Um, and if I'm Jesus, I wouldn't be happy. Like, what do I have to do to get through to you? Uh, but that's where they. That's where they leave it. And so, um, Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, his disciples fall asleep. Judas betrays him with a kiss. And he ends up in Caiaphas' courthouse. And they seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance when they'd kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it. Saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. And after an interval of an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. It's hard to comprehend how fast his attitude changed. Like, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of it. Uh, it may be that that personality type, which can tend towards the bully type type, when you punch him in the face, they back down quick. Uh, and they can talk tough, tough, but they can't back it up. Maybe he just couldn't face the reality of what was going to happen. And his confidence had been a coping mechanism, but now he's really realizing there's nothing that he can do about it. Um, but everything in his life is upside down. Have there been times in your life when you followed Jesus exactly the way you understood that you were supposed to, and things most definitely did not work out the way that they thought you thought they were going to, or thought that they should? Uh, I mean, I can relate to the scene that he's in, and just what it does to you, where you think maybe maybe I just was wrong about what I was supposed to be doing. Maybe I was wrong about what he was doing. Maybe I was wrong about who he is. And there's a sense of being lost, of being faithless, and being broken. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and I think this is as devastating a scene as there is in the Bible. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three, te three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Just broken. 
Have you been there? There's some solace in this, that if you've been there while you're walking with the Lord, it's not like you're never supposed to be there. I think we are supposed to be there from time to time because I think that's what it takes for us to change. I'll never forget a quote I read years ago where a guy said, and maybe the people have been saying this forever, but said, um, people change when the cost of staying the same is higher than the cost of change. And sometimes that's just what it takes to get us to change. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Romans chapter 7, and it's the Apostle Paul. And people actually debate whether he wrote this before he was a Christian or after, and I'm confident that it was after. But he says, I don't, for I do not understand my own actions, for I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. And he gets to the end of that passage and says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Now that makes sense when you're coming to Jesus for the first time. You, that's where you have to be. And for the record, what he says right after that is, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus has been condemned in our place. But the fact that Paul is there post his decision to follow Jesus, post his conversion, says, man, this is, he's going to take us through these cycles because he's going to break us so he can put us back together again. Following Jesus is going to draw some things out of you that you never could imagine that were in you. And so don't be surprised by that. Expect it because you need a lot of change. And don't get stuck in it either. And I don't know what that is. I think he can use just about anything, you know? <laughs> he can use some things that you were a part of and culpable in, but other things that you, you had nothing to do with. He could use your health. He can use your marriage. God knows he can use parenting. He can use church. Can I get an amen to that? Uh, he can use relationships where you're just trying to do the right thing. He can use money problems that force you to depend on him more. He can use work situations. He can use situations where you feel like you're being persecuted for your very belief in him. And he can draw out innumerable things that he wants to change in you. Jealousy or laziness or anxiety or fear or arrogance or insecurity or anger. But here's my second point. I only have two points. God will never, ever be done with you. He will never, ever, ever be done with you. And so um, Jesus goes to the cross. Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. Peter and John are the ones that run to his tomb to find out what happened. Um, but Peter's not there yet, and he still thinks Jesus is done with them. And so a few weeks later, Jesus tells them to go to Galilee. And they go to Galilee, and they're waiting on Jesus. And Peter said to the rest of the disciples, I am going fishing. And the way that he says that is, I'm going back to fishing. I'm going to be a fisherman again because this disciple thing has not worked out. And surely Jesus has done, from, done with me. And they said, we'll all go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. And what happens next is, and when it comes towards dawn, they look out to the shore and see a guy um, on the beach. But it's like, still kind of dark out. They can't tell who it is. But he says, hey, put your nets out on the other side. And I don't know at what point they realize this is Jesus, you know, because it seems kind of obvious. This is recreating Peter's first scene with Jesus. And he pulls up, they, they get a huge catch of fish again, and Peter's like, it's the Lord. And so it, it says, actually, he puts his coat on because there was a scene where Peter walked on water, or he takes it off. No, no, he puts it on because he thinks he's going to be walking on water. That's what some people think. Who knows? He swims over to Jesus, um, 
because he's so excited about seeing them. They eat breakfast, and then it says, Simon, uh, or says when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Uh, just a little, people debate what the more than these are. Is it more than these disciples? Which I think it's probably that because he said he loved them more than these. It could be more than the fishing stuff. Are you going to stay a fisherman or go back? I don't think it makes a huge difference. But I think it's probably the disciples. And, um, and Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And he said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And there's three betrayals and three restorations. But then there's this. He said, Lord, you know everything. That seems new. You know, a few weeks prior, it didn't seem like Peter thought that Jesus knew everything. But I think we see that Peter's changed. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And in that, at least what he's saying is, you're not going to be in control of things, but never doubt that I am in complete control of things. And Peter seems to have taken that lesson in. You fast forward with Peter um, probably a few months after this, and um, the church has started in um, the Holy Spirit has come down at Pentecost. Peter's preached. Thousands of people have come to faith in Jesus. The religious leaders, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, are now trying to cancel Peter and John. They bring them into probably the same place where the statue is of him denying Jesus. It's probably that same courtyard or that proximity. And they say, hey, you guys got to stop talking about Jesus. And Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak of what we've seen and of what we've heard. I don't know why there's not a statue of Peter saying that to the council. You know what I mean? Like I'd have that question if I were Peter about another statue. Um, but God redeems his worst moment. Has God ever redeemed your worst moment? He has a, he has a habit of doing that. Um, that worst moment won't stand. Uh, and then, fast forward, um, I'm not sure, months, maybe years, um, but God uses Peter for this just gigantic thing. So the church starts to spread, but mostly in Israel and mostly among Jewish people. And Peter, it says, is hungry one day. <laughs> He's dreaming about lunch, a little daydream, and he has a vision of the sheet that comes down from heaven, and in it are all of the unclean Old Testament Jewish animals which, like, primary among those is pigs. So Peter is literally dreaming about bacon, okay? And, 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 the, and God says, rise and eat, you know? Like, I've made this clean now. And Peter's his first reaction is, I would nev I'll never do it. But then he has the vision again, and then he has a vision a third time. And I wonder if the third time thing has become a cue for Jesus, like he's got flashbacks to the other third times. And he's like, well, maybe. Uh, and he gets a little curious about what's going on with it. And then God calls him to meet with Cornelius, who is the centurion. 
And then he just realizes what the Holy Spirit is doing. And God uses it's the reason we're here because otherwise the Jewish people wouldn't let Jesus outside the Jewish. They were just so insular and there's so much racism between Jews and Gentiles. But God uses Peter and I think he shapes him in the scene that we started with to be capable for this next scene to bring the church to the rest of the world. He's changed. And that superpower, he still has it, but it is surrendered. Uh, God's goal for you is to conform you to the image of Jesus and to make you the person that he created you to be in the first place, that sin has corrupted. And he is not done. Um, and that he's never, ever done with you. If you're in a place where you're like kind of, you know, raw and you guilt and shame and you feel that, that's good news. If you're lazy, if you're a lazy Christian, that's bad news for you. If you're a lazy Christian, he's never, ever done with you. Like he's going to keep pressing and he's going to keep pushing you into places. Um, the Dream Center guy, he was here a few years ago, Jeremy. You should do Dream Centers next Saturday. If you, how many of you have ever done Dream Center? Okay, a bunch of you. You should do Dream Center. Um, it's a couple hours where God is doing amazing things in that ministry, and we get to be a little part of it. So next Saturday morning, Washington Terrace from 10 to 12. Um, Jeremy, the guy that started it, told me a story once, and he said he was a pastor in California, leading worship, young guy, and uh, loved his job. But he felt like God was telling him and his wife, hey, you know, in some period of time, you're going to move to North Carolina. She had family out here. And so he went to his pastor to give him a heads up that he felt like God was you know, calling him to move, and his pastor fired him. His pastor said, listen, if you're telling me that now, I know you've got a job lined up. And he's like, I don't have a job lined up. I just felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me that. He's like, stop it, and fired him. <laughs> if I was Jeremy, I'd be like, hey, God, did I get that wrong? You know, <laughs> and so he spent nine months out there living with his mother-in-law. I won't make any mother-in-law jokes there, but, he, but doing that, waiting for this job to open up in Raleigh, at a good church in North Raleigh. And, and so God, like, did the thing, you know, and came through. And he's there for seven years. And then God, one day, he said, a lady comes up to him after service, big church, and says, hey, Pastor Jeremy, I'm on the edge of being, like, I think if I do, something doesn't change this week, I'm going to be homeless. Do you have any idea of how to help me? And he's like, I'm a worship leader. <laughs> this is not my department, you know. But he felt like God said, you're not going to be a worship leader anymore. Like, this is your new department, clearly. And so he left this great job that he loved to do something that he had no idea what he's doing, and God has blessed it. And I thought, man, why didn't you just give him a break somewhere along the way, you know? I shared that story, I think it was with that story with Josh Peace in Nicaragua. I was down there shortly after talking to Jeremy, and he said, that's terrifying. You understand what Josh was saying? <laughs> because God will never stop asking you for stuff. And so don't be surprised when he does. Following Jesus is meant to bring things out of you that you never imagined were in you. Um, and thank him that he loves you enough not to leave you the way that you are. But he's going to continue to work in us and he's going to work in, in you because he's never, ever done with us. Okay, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Again, we're going to take communion in just a minute. John and I will be up here. You can kind of come down that aisle and come around. Remember, go slow so you can be happy. One of those things. But I'm going to ask you guys just to close your eyes for a second and, uh, and to bow your heads. Um, and I don't, everybody's in such different places here this morning. You may think that you're beyond 
the grace of God. Honestly, you could be here and you've never heard of the grace of God. Um, Christianity has always been, I better get my act together or God's never going to accept me. And that's just not why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross because we're incapable of getting our act together. He has his, his act together, and what he did on the cross was gave us his act, which is together, and took the consequences of our act, which we can't get together. And the consequences of, of sin is death, and he took it for us, but he has the power over it, so he rose from the dead to show us that it doesn't have to win. And then he put that spirit in us. And if you've accepted who Jesus is, that he is not just a prophet and a teacher, but he is a savior and the son of God and the king, uh, then he's given you his spirit. And his spirit is the thing that's at work in you to empower you to be the person that you were created to be. And if you've never received that before, then I would invite you to receive that this morning um, just by praying to him, Lord, thank you uh, that you are my savior and I need what you've done for me. And let us know so we can help you get started because you're now a spiritual infant and things are going to get messy. Um, but if you've if you've been here forever, if you've been in a church someplace for forever, and I pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to you about something that you're going through right now that maybe has put guilt and shame on you, but God knows exactly what's going on, and he's just using it to transform you to be more like him and to be ready to spend an eternity with him in heaven because there's a whole lot of change that needs to happen. And may his grace fall upon you this morning and you walk out of here um, just understanding the love that he has for you even in the midst of something so hard. Uh, and I would pray, um, if you're in the lazy Christian category, man, would you jump back on board with him and know that he's not done for you, with you and that he has so much that's better for you. And it's hard, um, but he is good, and it is what's best. Father, thanks for, um, for this scene and for the life of Peter and for the honesty with, with it and with so many characters in the Bible that are just a mess, Lord, because those of us, all of us who are a mess uh, can find our story in their stories, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in the places that we are this morning. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.